Good morning, everybody. If you're new to the online stream, my name is John. I'm a pastor here. It's good to be worshiping with you virtually. Uh, This past week ended up being pretty exciting for investors. Everyone's talking about this. I'm sure I'm not the first person to to mention the stock called GameStop. Seems like it has just captured or captivated the attention and imagination of the entire country, maybe even the entire world. And I don't fully understand what has been going on, but professionals say that something historic and unprecedented has been taking place this week. A bunch of retail investors, just anybody at home using an online trading platform, went on an online forum called Reddit and coordinated a short squeeze, extracting billions of dollars from the people who are supposed to be the absolute best at playing the market, hedge fund managers. And my basic understanding of what a short squeeze is, and I'm sure I'm not quite right on this, so if you're in the financial markets, I get something wrong, please uh, extend me a little bit of grace if I get this wrong, but I think I got the gist of it. A short squeeze happens when there's a whole bunch of people who have heavily shorted a stock, and, and when you've shorted a stock, it means essentially that you've borrowed against somebody else who owns the stock and, and, and have the rights to sell this stock at a certain price, even though you yourself don't own that stock. And, and you do this because you believe that this stock is going to go down. And what's, what typically will happen is people will buy all these short positions, but then they'll go out and do these media appearances and talk about why the stock's going to go down or publish research that they have done on their own about why the stock's going to go down, and then they make a bunch of money on it. And it could be argued that they serve a purpose in financial markets because it, it um, gives people incentive to do research and kind of hold these companies accountable, like short sellers are apparently responsible for Enron's collapse. They help publish a lot of the crooked stuff that was happening there. Well, anyways, short sellers targeted this company called GameStop, which I'm sure if you've been in a mall, you've seen these stores, people sell video games there. And and basically, I think the logic was, as the video game industry turns towards digital media, GameStop is going to go the way of Blockbuster. It's gonna be history. And so they're thinking it's gonna go away, so they short this stock, but in their exuberance, they sort of overshort the stock. What I've read, and I'm not sure this is totally right, it's legal to hypothetically sell more, to sell more shares short than actually exist of the shares in kind of float that are out there to be purchased. And at one point, GameStop was 140% sold short, which means that they had sold the options to sell this stock 140% more than shares that existed. And what happened is these retail investors kind of figured this out. And what they figured out is that if the stock started to go up, these people who were short the stock would be forced to go buy the share to cover their short positions. And so they started driving the price of the stock up, which then forced these short sellers to come in and buy more, which continued to drive the stock up. So a stock worth somewhere between $10 to $20 was trading in the $300 to $400 range this week as everybody was piling in. And what has been interesting for me is I went on these Reddit messaging boards and started reading some of the interactions that these retail investors were having with one another. I assume they're all retail. You don't really know who's on these messaging boards because they're anonymous. 
But it's been interesting to see how honest they are. A lot of these people are regular people without much training experience. They are posting screenshots of their portfolios of what they're doing. They're um, you know, self-deprecating. They're saying, I don't really know what I'm doing, but they're sort of believing in this momentum and believing what other Redditors are telling them to do. And a lot of the language sounds something like this. It's like, this is our chance to get back at the hedge fund. Some of them remember, had parents who were burned in the 08 crisis. And there's sort of this built up hostility and vindictiveness towards the people who caused that crisis. Other people are sort of encouraging one another, be strong, be strong, don't sell, persevere. It, it, it's it's going to work out, it's going to work out. Other people, a lot of the messages are like, well, when the short sellers come in, there's this belief that they still haven't come in. When the short sellers come in, the stock is gonna, going to the moon, and then you get these rocket emojis. And as I read these message boards and then watched the stock do what they said it was going to do, cause a short squeeze on these ultra-wealthy people, transferring billions of dollars from the hedge fund managers down to these retail investors, I couldn't help but wonder, should I buy some GameStop stock? I mean, it's working. I saw a screenshot that one person posted online, and he was literally making millions of dollars a day, in paper, at least on paper, though he had cashed out some because his cash balance was $13 million. And it turns out this particular guy, he's sort of a star on the Reddit boards. The Wall Street Journal did this interview with him, and he's just a 34-year-old guy trading in his basement. He doesn't even own his own house. He lives in a rental. He's got a two-year-old daughter. His dream had been to break a four-minute mile and build a track, in his indoor track in his hometown, and now he's saying, maybe I'm going to get to do that. And when you see something like this, just this normal average guy go down to his basement and trade for free and, and make millions and millions of dollars, you can't help but wonder, could I do this? Should I jump in? Not the only person who's had that thought. Robinhood, which is a free stock trading app, kind of almost gamified experience of stock trading, number one downloaded app on the App Store this week. Everybody's seeing this phenomenon and thinking, could this be me? And as they're asking that question, they're increasingly willing to take extraordinary risks in order to have the same outcome as this guy who was making millions of dollars a day. And I saw one person post a YouTube video about their trade, and they had taken out tens of thousands of dollars from their student loan account to invest that. And they call this trade a YOLO trade, which as many of you know means you only live once, so might as well take all my student loan debt and put it into this risky trade in the stock market. And for many of them, at least, not all, but many of them, it worked out. And they were then able to turn around and pay off all their student loan debt. And this acronym, YOLO, seems to sum up the essence of the draw, of the temptation to take an extraordinary risk to get this huge reward. The logic seems to go something like this. Normally, only rich people have this opportunity to make 
a million dollars in a day on a financial transaction, but now you and I can do it. Sure, it's risky, but you only live once, and this is your shot. On top of YOLO, then there's a little FOMO, fear of missing out. This may be my only shot, and so it's worth the risk. So there's this conversation happening. Should I take the conservative approach of, of working hard and saving 15% of my income and, and slowly building up a savings account so that I can retire when I'm 65? Or should I just download a free app, open a margin account, and buy stuff on debt? Make enough money to never have to work again. YOLO. And as I've thought about this week, these YOLO trades, in the context of our passage, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, I'm aware of the way that all temptation kind of parallels this YOLO trade temptation. The same dynamics that are at work within me as I'm considering, should I YOLO my way into a GameStop trade? Are the same things that are tempting us in every translate, uh, temptation. Temptation is risky, but at its core, it's promising us a shortcut, an easy path to an outcome we long for, but one we don't have to suffer to get or wait to get. Financial temptation lures us into doing something risky or illegal in order to gain wealth quickly, shortcutting the hard work. Sexual temptation promises the pleasure of intimacy without the hard work of relationship. The temptation to abuse power comes when we want people to respect us and obey us because of our title or our position without doing the hard work of loving them and winning their trust first. Temptation is always offering us this YOLO shortcut. It's a quicker way to get to a destination that we, we think we so badly need and want without all the hard work, all the pain, all the suffering of, of what we probably should do, the right way to do it. And in our passage, this is what Jesus is facing in his temptation. He's facing temptation to YOLO his way through his calling. The devil's offering him a way to achieve his goals, but without the hard work of suffering. Last week, we talked about how Jesus accepted this calling to be Israel's Messiah when he was baptized by John. And the very next thing that happens is he goes to be tested and tempted in the wilderness. And last week I talked about how Jesus' self-understanding of what this call was was different from the expectations of Israel, but his self-understanding was this call to be a suffering servant who starts this revolution of love, conquers sin in human heart, and, and starts this revolution of love. And Jesus knows that this is going to change the world, and it's an incredibly powerful thing to do, and that people are going to worship him. 
But in order to do it the right way, he's, it's going to require years of loving service to the people around him. It's going to require him to stand up for truth and towards the people of power, the hypocritical religious leaders. And it's ultimately going to require that he go to the cross to die for people's sins. And the essence of the temptation that the devil's offering him is, is a way to shortcut all this. It's like that, that quiet voice that says, there's an easier way. You can have this now without all the suffering. You can become the powerful leader you were meant to be. The kind who transforms the world, but without all the pain and suffering that love requires. You can have it now. Just take these shortcuts. It's like the devil is saying to Jesus, YOLO, you got one life. Why? Let it be so miserable. Why spend your time surrounded by these inept disciples that you have to love and explain things to? Why submit to Pilate? To what he's going to do to you? Why go to the cross? All you need to do is take this shortcut and I'll give you the glory, the fame, the power, but without the suffering. And this is always the invitation of temptation. This is always the invitation that you and I experience whenever we face temptation. Whenever you and I experience temptation, it comes to us as this shortcut to some external thing that we're attached to, that we want to achieve or acquire or accomplish. Promising an easier way by making us more efficient or more practical or more helpful or more famous or more loved or more productive or more powerful. Temptation helps us get there. And it promises to do all this without the hardship, without the pain, without the suffering of love. And what we see from Jesus is that this is precisely the wrong way to live. For Jesus, the primary purpose of life is not getting to this outcome of having power or or getting people to worship him, the primary outcome, or the primary purpose of his life is not the outcome, it is the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not aiming for a destination, he's aiming for the way of love. He's going to live his whole life in this surrendered dependence to the Father. And he's going to trust the words of affirmation that were spoken over him at his baptism. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So no matter what's happening in his life around him, he's going to trust that this is his position with the Father. I am loved. God takes care of me. I surrender to him. And he's going to share that love with others. And what I've been saying, what the, really the whole purpose of the sermon series is, the life of Jesus, is that you and I can look at the way Jesus has lived and then follow his example. We can live that way too. We're invited to live this life of love and, and we're therefore invited to resist YOLO temptations that promise getting us to that outcome that we think we really need by circumventing the hard work of loving others. So I want to look at these temptations 
And I'm going to follow Henry Nouwen's interpretation of this passage because I like the way he contextualizes it and makes it relevant to what you and I face. Sort of takes these temptations that Jesus is experiencing in his particular unique context and makes them more applicable, like general, like this is sort of the human experience that Jesus is experiencing. And he defines the three temptations that Jesus faces as a temptation to be relevant, the temptation to be spectacular, and the temptation to be powerful. The temptation to be relevant is a little bit awkward. When I first read this, I thought, what's wrong with being relevant? But it's essentially that temptation that you and I have to meet another person's needs because of some sense of inadequacy within ourselves. That's the implication. comes in verses, first temptation is verses 3 and 4. And the tempter comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Do something useful. Meet a need. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. And he's tempted to use his position of privilege, perform a miracle to meet some needs, do something relevant. On first glance, it seems like an odd, like why is that bad to, to turn a stone into bread, to, to get food? And, and this is certainly something he does later in his ministry. But what is behind this temptation is this thing that's happening deep within the spirit, this selfish urge within us that man itself says our need to do something with our power that is practical and actually useful and helpful. Like, we don't know who we are unless we can do useful, practical things. This is kind of the essence of the temptation. Not knowing who we are apart from what we can do. And it's clear the way that this can totally mess up the way of love and the revolution of love that Jesus is bringing. A great example of this is not all short-term mission trips, but what happens on some short-term mission trips when a group of Westerners travel to some impoverished part of the world to help these people because we have money. That's what we can do with money. In the book, When Helping Hurts, author tells the story of a devout Christians who go to this impoverished area and, and they see that people don't have enough food and so they think, let's help. And so they open up this stand where people can come and get free eggs. What can be wrong with giving away free food to people who are hungry? But what happened is that when they started giving away free eggs, the one guy in that village who was a chicken farmer and who would sell eggs to the people decided, well, I can't do my business here anymore, can't compete with free, and he left. And then these well-meaning Christians who had gone on a short-term mission trip for a week to this area supported this project for a year, I can't remember how long exactly, and then lost interest and funding, and so it closed up. And now, this little village is left with no eggs. This is just one example of how this inner need, as we try and do something that seems so good, give food to people who are hungry, can end up not 
being done in the way of love and can cause harm. Another uh, example of this, I heard a story about a church that wanted to deliver presents to low-income families on Christmas time. So they had families kind of draw other names out of a hat and then they would buy Christmas and then they would go to that family's door and deliver the gifts to them in person. And what they didn't know is that while this was super exciting to the kids, it's like Santa Claus is coming to the door, that it was pretty humiliating for the parents. And, and there are stories of the dads being so humiliated by this experience that they would go into the back bedroom and close the door and just wait for the people to leave. So they felt so ashamed in front of their families. And if you and I are going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and actually bring positive change to the world, then we need to follow the way of love. And we have to be aware of this temptation and the way our need to be helpful can become a need to be a Savior or a Messiah, which is not loving. It often is an expression of our inner insecurity and it can be condescending and shame-inducing to the people we're trying to help. Second temptation that Jesus faces is to do something spectacular. Verses 5-7. through seven. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And this temptation is tapping into that part of us that knows about the, that wants to do something good, but maybe more than wants to do something good, wants other people to see us doing something good. I don't even know if I need to say anything more than social media by way of example here. We've all seen this happening, right? We've seen the, the humble brag post or the, the virtue signaling tweet or the Instagram or Facebook picture of somebody doing something really good somewhere else. It's like promotion, self-promotional marketing about your own goodness to all your friends and family members. On a smaller scale, we do this whenever we Try and like do something nice at home, a chore or help out, but then we want to make sure other people can see it. We want our spouse or our kids to know so we say something or leave something out. Or you talk loudly on the phone to a friend who's called you for comfort. You want your other friend to, to hear that you've been called to help this person. You're comforting, deal with loss. This is sort of like performative righteousness. And it happens whenever we do something to be seen by others. It's this temptation to be spectacular that lies behind this deep need that exists deep in our souls that pays such close attention to what other people think of us. That we're driven by the image of ourselves that exists in the minds of others. This is not the way of love. This is the way motivated by an evil spirit within us. Rooted in our own need to have this crowd around us saying, you're so great. 
you're so great. This is not the way. And lastly, temptation is to power, to be powerful. Verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. He said, if you'll bow down and worship me, Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And this temptation is so prevalent and so seductive. It's that that temptation to get things done by first getting power, getting position. It's that belief that exists within us that says in order to, to get the good done in the world, I first have to get a lot of power over other people. I have to get position. I have to get status. So we justify our behavior because we're trying to get to power and then we're going to do the good things, the right things. And the, beneath this belief is this belief that without power, without positional power or title power or status power, I can't make an impact on the world. So there's this worship of power as the only way to do good in the world. This is not true. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the Capitol riots, but the most powerful thing anyone can do is love. And because we can all love others, this means we all have power. Even if we don't hold positions of power or status or have privilege, we can still change the world if we live a life of love. We often forget this 2,000 years removed from Jesus and all the history that's come in between, but Jesus was utterly powerless in terms of worldly power. He had no money. He had no positional power. He had no status. He didn't have educational degrees or attainment. He had no clout in society. He had no institutional, racial, or cultural power. And yet, because of his radical commitment to love, he changed the world. As Christians, we always get this wrong. We always think we need to cozy up to politicians or schmooze with the wealthy people. To get stuff done, we need to go get power first. This is the worshiping of the way of power. As we just look at love as so much weaker, oftentimes. But the whole point of what it means to be a disciple, and the point of this sermon series is that we follow the example of Jesus. We believe that He is showing us the way to the abundant life. He's showing us the way to have a powerful life. But what He's saying is there is no shortcut. And then we need to resist these YOLO temptations. He says that true power comes from our unwavering commitment to sacrificially serve and love others. Jesus resisted all these temptations, resisted the temptation to be relevant, spectacular, and powerful. Stays true to his calling to live in the way of surrendered love and start this revolution of love as he loves others. Trusts in God's presence with him, always a God who loves him as he loves us, 
and also trust that God is always near and God is always at work, even if he isn't relevant, spectacular, or powerful in worldly terms. And the invitation for you and me is to follow Jesus' example. And so I wonder, as we're getting to the end of our time, how do we do this? And just very quickly, I just want to name that this is hard. This temptation, it doesn't show, when the devil shows up, he doesn't show up wearing red with horns and say, here's the temptation, and then we've got to think, I know this is wrong, I probably shouldn't do it, but it's, it's not like that. It usually comes to us as a desire, and we're not sure. Is this a good way to go or a bad way to go? Especially if you're trying to like help somebody. Should I do this? Should I not do this? And so what we need to do is we need to sift. We need to be aware of our desires, and then we need to engage in this ancient practice of prayerful discernment. We pay attention. What is the desire that is going on beneath me? Is it this desire to be relevant, to, to show people how useful I am? To be spectacular? Is this this desire to get people to like me? Is it this desire to like get power because I feel more comfortable and I can do more good if I can just have the power in this system right here? Or is it rooted in love? That's essentially what we're trying to discern. It's a temptation if it's one of these former things, and it's the way of God if it's rooted in love. So we take our desires to prayer, and we hold them and we sift them, and we try and discern which of these ways it's coming from. So I'm going to close now with just a little bit of silence. I'll invite Jamie and Brendan. You guys can come back up. I'm going to invite you to just notice some desires that you have and sift them, practice them. See if anything comes to mind. Just sit for a moment in the quiet. Something you've been wanting to do, something you've been wanting to say or post, You just take that desire and hold it before the Lord. If you're okay in your imagination, you can imagine yourself in conversation with Jesus. Ask the Spirit to guide your imagination. And ask of that desire. Do I want to do this because of love? Do I want to do this because I need to be relevant, spectacular, or powerful? Gracious God, lead us not into temptation. But as we face it, help us to sift and to listen to the voice of your Spirit within, guiding us in the way of love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.